0: Hello again, everybody. Welcome to your live, member-only, Ask an Attorney webinar. I am not the attorney. I'm Kevin Mikulowski, editor of Concealed Carry Magazine. The attorney to my right is Tom Greve from Greve Law. That's uh, the the largest criminal defense firm in Wisconsin.
1: Last I checked, yeah, about half of us are former state prosecutors, and we do okay for clients.
0: Well, super. Thank you for being here. I will apologize profusely uh, for the actions of the -the behind-the-scenes crew. Um, uh, We are a little bit late, yes, acknowledge it, feel shame, Um, but uh, we we will move forward now with lots of great information. So let's jump right in, and uh, first question from Anonymous.
1: Anonymous, the best asker.
0: That's right. If an employer says you can't carry a firearm and you end up being harmed and don't have your firearm, what is their liability? Also what recourse do you have if you choose to carry against an employer's decision and have to defend yourself? I think there's two very different questions,
1: two very different but obviously related questions, so and, and it's a great one. It's one that I actually hear on a reasonably frequent enough basis, so I was, I was happy to see it asked. Um, unfortunately, I don't have a great answer for you, and here's the reason why. Um, obviously, number one, check your local listings as far as laws go, and we're specifically talking about employer-employee laws. So that's going to be really in the weeds on a lot of different uh, the publicly available resources that are out there, all right? Um, so that's going to be one big issue is, what kind of tort laws, T-O-R-T, tort laws. We're talking civil liability laws. So someone did something to you, can you sue them for money? That's tort law, right? Um, When can you do that? How can you do that? I think one of the big issues that has happened here, frankly, is the fact that there hasn't been uh, a lot of exploration as far as people trying to press these lawsuits against companies when things like this have happened, at least not to my knowledge. And the result is that we don't have a lot of those Lines kind of colored and defined for us by, you know, courts of appeal, federal district courts, U.S. Supreme Court, state Supreme Courts and so forth as to when and how can you do these sorts of things. Some states, speaking like here from Wisconsin, specifically have bars to liability. In other words, it's code for you cannot sue the employer if they allow employees and folks to conceal carry and something goes wrong as a result of that. However, likewise here in Wisconsin, there is no specific bar to the fact that if an if a, uh, employer does prohibit you from carrying, um, can they not or can you not sue them if something goes wrong? So honest answer is we don't know. This is kind of a cutting edge of tort law. Without getting into the weeds on politics, I think that most of the attorneys here, let's put it this way, I don't think they're avid gun owners, uh, most, most personal injury attorneys and so forth, and hopefully you can read into that a bit. So it's just an area where I think there's not a lot of there's not a lot of will to try to push things in that direction to Mm -hmm. find out. So uh, contact local attorneys. I'm telling you, a lot of people may not be aware of this issue that's out there. And likewise, uh, what's your recourse if you've chosen to carry against an employer's decision, you have to defend yourself. Um, We've seen it with some major companies like Uber and others where theoretically their employees are not supposed to be carrying, at least according to my information. And something happens and an Uber employee may have to defend his or her life against someone, the company's fired him. Um,
0: yeah.
1: And what can you do? And what I mean, can you do, right? <laughs> and, and candidly, how, how you much nec- money
0: do you want to spend to get your job back?
1: Right. And okay. that's, that's unfortunately part of the problem here is there's very few attorneys who work for what we call contingency fee. In other words, you don't pay them. They just take a cut of your winnings. And By the way, the code for the attorneys who are doing that, they're only suing insurance companies, and they only take your case if they know that they can win. And not only that, but win for enough money to justify their time and resources. So contingency fee law is code for um, they know they're going to win, or at least they know it's going to be worth their risk. And unfortunately, for understandable reasons, attorneys aren't necessarily enthusiastic about working for free and losing their house in the process, but... uh, the result is we just don't know.
0: Yeah, and uh, and honestly, there's not been a lot of test cases. None that I can think of. There's a couple of good books out there, people suggesting that you do that. Right. And uh, I've talked to a couple of different attorneys because the Wisconsin state constitution says you have the legal right to use a gun for self-defense or any other legal purpose. So if they're taking that away from you, are they taking away your constitutional rights? You know, and then by doing that, have they made a promise to protect you? So.
1: Right. But, yeah, and and that. Well, Kevin did a fantastic <laughs> job of, of basically outlining the case to sue someone, which is if they've stripped you of your right to self-defense, which if you're, you're guaranteed under not only here in Wisconsin, the Wisconsin Constitution, but you know, arguably the Second Amendment as well, then what in return liability is your employer therefore yep. taking off your plate and onto their plate? And therefore, can you sue them if they fail to discharge that duty? Right? Yeah. The, the elements of negligence, this takes me back some years, but we got duty, Breach cause harm, right? So they've got a duty. It's they, like they've you taken just it on got their place. I know, right? I, 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 blacked out. I don't know where that. Or where I pulled that out of. Right? Duty <laughs> breach cause harm. So if they're saying that they've got a duty, they breached that duty, and as a result of that breach, you got hurt, and now you have a harm. You've got seemingly all the elements of a negligence case, but right. well, questions the duty.
0: Yeah. Who's gonna bring that case? And and I guess we'll just I'll have to wait and out, see. Yeah. So, all right, Tim says, I keep seeing videos on the news where poor citizens are getting ruthlessly beaten by multiple armed thugs. At what point would you say multiple attackers, let's say two, justifies using deadly force? Well, um, if you can reasonably articulate that you are facing an imminent deadly threat, then you can use deadly force. Now, that's wide open. That's why we have attorneys.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that, that is unfortunately very wide open. And again, Tim's question dealt with unarmed people specifically. We've obviously have cases of armed and unarmed thugs, mm-hmm. um, but I know that I've seen cases coming out of Minneapolis and elsewhere where um, you've got people getting jumped at bus stops, they've got mm-hmm. their heads down on their cell phones and so forth, they're not paying attention, and next thing you know they're unconscious and getting robbed and, and not only unconscious, they may mm-hmm. still be getting pummeled after they're laying on the ground unconscious, yeah. which of course is, is awful to see. Um, but at the end of the day, it's, it comes down to exactly what, what Kevin was saying, is that you can use force to resist force. There has to be a measurable, there has to be um, reasonable, and so on. But when we're going to be talking about using deadly force, you have to be able to convince someone that you were facing deadly force. Mm-hmm. That can be a very difficult, and that can be yeah. a very risky um, to use the, 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 the deadly force, and sometimes not to use the deadly force can be risky, right? Because what are you supposed to do? Wait until you're knocked unconscious or something? Because you're a you know victim of a ten-on-one attack. That's tough.
0: Yeah, that is a tough case. And uh, you, know, you talked about what's been going on in Minneapolis. They've had several of those cases. Um, a pretty high-profile case from a couple years back. It might be two years back now. Um, Portland and the Antifa protesters right? and a right-wing blogger. <laughs> Pulled his gun to keep a crowd of attackers at bay, and he's facing eight years in prison now. Um, you know they were they initially wanted him to charge him um, with felonies for every person who was in front of him when he pulled out his gun, and he was facing an angry mob. Right. And the only way he thought he could keep them back was to pull his gun, pointed at them, and threaten violence. Right. And he got arrested for that. So it it depends on where you are, folks, and what's going on around you, and what the prosecutors are like, and what you can convince the jury or the judge you know
1: and tim i realized that putting myself in your shoes or frankly anybody's shoes which includes kevin and i here that's a deeply unsatisfying answer and maybe even an unsettling or, or disturbing answer that's the status of the law though all mm-hmm. right and anybody <clears> who's trying to sell you on you can 100 percent use a firearm in self-defense if people are, sh- are throwing milkshakes at you or are uh, you know um, just trying to punch you or something like that we're not saying, I think, correct, Kevin, correct me if I'm wrong, we're not saying that it is illegal for you to do so, but nor are we saying that it is 100% legal for you right. to do so. This falls very thoroughly in a gray area that's going to have to be very context-driven, and frankly, it, it is what it is.
0: Yeah, I, I watch a lot of the legal briefs from Dave Perlman at the Wisconsin Department of Justice, and his favorite line is, there is no bright line. There is no specific definition of when this is going to kick in or when it's not, so right. um, case and that, by case basis.
1: And that's where law enforcement and cultures and different district attorneys, different prosecutors' offices may draw that line a little differently from one spot to the other. And that's also going to involve with questions kind of like what you just got to, which is, why are you there? What were you doing? Who are the attackers? Mm-hmm. Who are you? What's your background? What's their background? So okay. that's why you just got to make smart decisions about, why am I going to this particular place?
0: All right, let's move on. John wants to know about diverted air travel. We talked about that last time through, I believe. And uh, if you're diverted to New York, wouldn't the Firearm Owner's Protection Act about national transportation, would that cover you if, uh, if you got diverted and your luggage is now in New York, you pick it up and go to the hotel so you can change clothes and brush your teeth, yeah. now you're possessing a gun without a permit in a state that wants you in jail?
1: Oh, John, 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 <laughs> dare, dare to dream, dare to dream. <laughs> Uh, Look, we're making light of it, but this is a very serious issue, and good people have gone to prison as a result. Um, I think the argument from the government effectively goes something like this, um, that your end destination, at least for right now, is no longer whatever your target state is, and the fact that you've accepted your luggage, when you took delivery of of your luggage from the airport, um, you have, in essence, embraced that bundle of problems, in this Mm -hmm. case, Uh, And therefore, the smartest thing is don't accept the luggage, all right? And again, John, I realize this is very frustrating. It certainly doesn't seem to be comporting with the spirit of the law. This is not your fault. This is not our fault. This is New York's fault. This is New Jersey's fault and so forth. So um, I don't see those situations resolving themselves in a good way anytime soon, which is unfortunately the reason why we're stuck giving the advice and the feedback that we have to give to keep you safe.
0: Yeah, the safest thing to do in that situation is, you know, pull your credit card out of your wallet and go buy some clean clothes and a toothbrush and leave your luggage with the luggage handlers there at the airport until you get back on the plane and get going to your final destination. So right. um, that's, that's all we can tell you what to do. Travis wants to know about aftermarket parts, upgrades, and defensive firearms, sights, triggers. Can these things be used to make you look bad? This is becoming a regular, weekly, monthly, you know, daily question in some areas. Uh, Are you folks not listening? We're going to – we'll tell you again. So
1: (laughs) I think we can really strip these kind of things out in the two different categories in my mind, which is the functional aspects, triggers, sights, grips, ammo, and so forth, versus cosmetic and other. All right. So by cosmetic, what are we talking about? We're talking about those Punisher decals. We're talking about the you're dead sucker Uh, You know laser etched on the slide or whatever it might be
0: right on the muzzle It's a smile wait for flash
1: smile wait for flash. We're talking about the ammo, which says, you know Kill all kill them all ammo box, you know made by some small distributor or something like that Um, These are things that invite problems and the reason why they invite problems even though they may not actually change the facts of your case Because let's face it a good shoot should be a good shoot regardless of whatever cosmetics are on the side of your firearm, right? Here's the problem mens rea, two little Latin words, all right, mens rea, M-E-N-S space R-E-A. This is the Latin term that we use in criminal law to describe what is the defendants or what's the subject's state or mental purpose at the time. What are they thinking? What's going through their mind? The prosecutor is going to argue that when you're wearing that Punisher t-shirt, when you've got the wait for flash decal on your firearm, when you've got any of those sorts of things or I'll also just throw in there social media posts, things like that, that detectives and prosecutors will also be looking for. Just pro tip, right? No one's saying that this is fair. At the end of the day, you should have made a good shoot, and those facts should speak and stay to themselves. However, this is what we've got, all right? You can choose to accept that fact and act accordingly or you can choose to fight that fact and unfortunately really risk a lot of problems down the line. Yes, we get it. A prosecutor is gonna be using a lot of misdirection, a lot of distraction tactics to try to get people to be focused on that post you made on Facebook 10 years ago or whatever it might have been. Um, it doesn't change the fact that this is what could happen. So the, so the safest thing possible is avoid any of those kind of cosmetic changes. As for uh, triggers, that kind of stuff, I mean, I think we're on the exact same page.
0: Yeah. Um, utilizing, you know, if you're upgrading your gun to make it more accurate, you're making it safer. Um, if you're getting to the point where you're outside of manufacturer's specifications and you have a 1.2-ounce a trigger pull, that's probably going to be a problem. But uh, the idea here is that if you're doing these things, if you're making your gun custom and, and I carry a semi-custom gun with me, that just gives other people opportunity to argue things that are not about your case. And it takes up your attorney's time and it takes away from what's going on, uh, you know, on the trial if, if you're getting to the point of the trial or, or the investigation. So um, I would say, you know, be judicious. 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 Yeah, Yeah. I got that. Yeah. I mean, Um, at the end of the day,
1: if it's helping you make a good shoot good, you know, if you had Mm -hmm. to put the night sight on so you could see what you're aiming at at night, hopefully your defense attorney is ready to argue and articulate that fact, Mm -hmm. right? Um, If you cleaned up the trigger pull without taking your trigger down to that one ounce automatic bump fire machine that you're hopefully (laughs) trying to avoid here, um, right, that helps you make good, clean shots. But it's a concealed carry gun, right? At least that's what I'm presuming we're talking about. We're not talking about range toys. We're talking about defensive tools. So everything should be geared towards one purpose, which is it needs to get the job done. It needs to be reliable and not get you in any more trouble than you should be.
0: Yeah, and uh, remember, folks, that attorneys can and will say anything, uh, not to disparage (laughs) you. but um, I'm sitting right here. I'm sitting right right here. here. But it was you who told me that an attorney once (laughs) described full metal jacket ammo as military grade, right. and, uh, and hollow point ammo as cop killer bullets. Yep. Uh, you know. So um, they'll say anything. As so, a prosecutor, so, yeah, I'll just yeah, add that was as a prosecutor. As a prosecutor you know. So, um, yeah, be mindful of that and understand that it's still the facts of the case. And if you are facing an imminent deadly threat then and you shoot, then you're probably gonna be okay, but maybe not. We'll just see how, you know.
1: There's facts you can control and there's facts you can't control. You can control when somebody attacks you, what that attack looks like, and all the different sorts of things. You can control your training, you can control your education, and you can control that decal that's on your firearm. So for God's sake, stack as much as you can in your favor so that if that rainy day comes, you're gonna be as best prepared as you possibly can be.
0: All right, good point there. As an elderly disabled person, I am not an elderly disabled
1: person. If you say so, Captain.
0: As an elderly disabled person, to defend themselves any different than an able-bodied younger person. And, um, you know, we call those officer subject factors or, or uh, citizen subject factors, things like that. If you're facing somebody that, if you know that you already have a disadvantage, um, we like to tell people you can use more force sooner, but... But it's still the law, Is still the law.
1: The law is still the law, it doesn't apply to anybody differently, but to exactly your point, right. I mean, it, those lines might still be the lines, but it might be easier to articulate why the person who's wheelchair-bound felt like they were more of a threat when somebody started approaching them with a knife yeah. as opposed to you know, someone who's a, an Olympic track star in a duty to retreat state or something yeah.
0: like that. Yeah, if you know somebody is an MMA fighter and you know, you know that you have a bad back, you're going to need that information to articulate to the investigators to let them know why you made the choices you made and why you believed the threat was imminent.
1: So. And kind of just on that point, too, you know, I, I meet and talk with clients um, on a reasonably frequent enough basis where, you know, the guy who's 55, he played some high school football, something like that. And he's telling me about his bum knee, but he never got it medically documented. And mm-hmm. now something's happened. And, of course, the prosecutors are going to say that, well, he's making it up. I mean. Mm-hmm. Honest suggestion, people: If you have real, not imagined, not perceived, if you have real medical issues, you could be doing yourself a favor. Number one, to be seeing your doctor regularly. Just number one, always a good tip, right? Self care is self care is real care, all right. Um, but number two is you know get this stuff documented, all right. And I'm not saying spend a fortune on specialists or something, but get things documented because if you've got a bad knee, if you've got a bad back, a bad something or other. Um, you saying it after the fact with no pre-existing medical documentation is going to look very shallow and, and disingenuous to a prosecutor and possibly to a jury. So getting it documented now before something happens, it could make a big difference. You just don't know.
0: Yeah. All right. So Richard wants to go camping. And if he's in a tent and someone puts a knife into your tent <laughs> and shoot, then can you get into trouble? Um, this it, Maybe we got a little bit of uh, uh, grammar problems there. I see Max is fixing it up behind us there. So um, if someone just puts a knife into your tent, you know, just opens the door and drops <laughs> it in, drops and, a knife. and then you shoot them. That's a gift. Yeah, You're giving me a knife, for right? A knife. <laughs> um, I'm thinking somebody decides they're going to open your tent with a knife. That's problematic. yeah. Yeah, then then we're, we're looking at at something differently. And uh, can you get into trouble? Well, It depends, I mean, um, where you are and what the laws are and things like that. Are you facing, and I keep using the term, imminent deadly threat. Um, Big, mean, ugly guy starts coming through my tent with a knife, yep, I'm gonna have to put rounds on target. Yeah, Sasquatch Um, busts
1: in, we've got a situation on our hands here. Yeah,
0: absolutely. So, I guess we'll get the question right down to castle doctrine.
1: Sure. Is your tent- I knew you were taking it here. Is your tent
0: your castle? Well, number one, I hope not,
1: all right? So let's just start there, okay? Um, Hopefully you have a different place to to call home at night. Um, So (laughs) this is a really tricky issue as to what is your domicile, all right? Um, Because again, check your local listings, uscca.com forward slash laws, laws with an S at the end of it. I don't know if Bonnie's had a chance to address this issue because this is really in the weeds and very state-specific as to what qualifies as a domicile. Um, I had a case a little short war story here. I had a case uh, maybe five or six years ago, where somebody was staying at one of those extended stay motels. Okay, it wasn't a gun case, but the gist to it had to be. Um, whether or not the Fourth Amendment laws concerning search and seizure, and then whether or not they're unreasonable, you know, they're they're highest in your home. They're yeah. higher than if you have a backpack. They're uh, on a school grounds. They're higher than if you're in an automobile and so forth. And the question was, was her staying there at an extended stay motel, which truly was her home at that point in time, um, did that rise to that level? So I really did to, to dig into the weeds on it. And the the gist to the answer was probably yes. Mm -hmm. um, But very rarely, uh, in my experience, and just kind of looking around, because I got curious after this happened and started glancing around at other states. It was part of how I was trying to build my legal argument in Wisconsin was, well, Wisconsin's a little bit unclear sometimes, so what do other states do? Because if everybody else does this, well, let's run with the herd, right? it can vary, you know, mm-hmm. an RV. If you've got a mobile RV, you know, uh, if it's still mobile and if you haven't hooked up to any utilities or fixtures, you know, that may not be a domicile under certain circumstances yeah. like national parks or something like that. But
0: it would still be a vehicle in the state of Wisconsin and, and Castle Doctrine extends to your vehicle exactly. if you're in it.
1: Right. So, Tense, though, being so complex because, yeah. you know, what? Um, fair question. My suspicion is, is that many states may be defining along the lines as to where you go to sleep at night um but i don't know if they're talking about primary residence um at the end of the day folks i'm gonna have to punt on this i apologize um but that's going to be a super in the weeds state specific question
0: and we'll see if we can dig into that and have bonnie take a closer look at that so,
1: i think i saw max yeah. off camera volunteering yeah, to yeah, do he, a full 50 state analysis
0: he's taking notes as we speak <sighs> <laughs> what should be done and again this one comes in from anonymous he 's been very busy lately what should be done with the discharged weapon before police arrive so i 'm assuming this is a deadly force incident a self defense shoot what should be done with the weapon before the police arrive i 'm going to suggest keep it pointed at the bad guy until the police get pretty close and then you can you know put it down and when you feel safe but always follow the instructions of the police so um, Certainly don't try to wipe your fingerprints off or, or, <laughs> or, or, or kick the spent brass down the, down the gutter or anything like that.
1: Yeah, pro- um, probably a, a, no, a bad look. Yeah, bad uh, look.
0: if you're trying to, you know, move the body or something like that, that's uh, ham- uh, tampering with evidence. Um, in all seriousness, um, move to a position of tactical advantage. Keep your weapon trained on the bad guy. This person was just enough of a threat that you had to shoot him or her, so you don't want them to become a threat again. And then sort of break your tunnel vision, look around for other potential threats. Was there an accomplice somewhere? Is somebody trying to come up behind you? All of those sorts of things. And then as police arrive, you start hearing the sirens and and they're getting closer and they're starting to bark commands. Follow those commands, get that gun down and your hands up. I, I can't think of any other suggestions to give folks.
1: Right. I mean, long story short is, you know, both Kevin as as law, enfor- law enforcement officer, myself as a former state prosecutor and criminal defense attorney. I'm sure we've both seen our fair share of home invasions, of robberies, of this kind of stuff. And I'll tell you that from my experience, and I'm sure Kevin's as well, um, rarely do bad guys travel alone. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. You get these suicide mass shooters and so forth. But by and large, these guys are operating in teams. And I'm not saying that they're cold, hard professionals or something. Thankfully, that's very rarely the case. But they are rarely alone. So breaking that tunnel vision, vital, vital.
0: Cannot emphasize that enough. All right, let's move on here. Tim wants to know about, can you speak on using deadly force to defend a third party? For example, you come upon a woman being mercilessly beaten, perhaps with a weapon. You decide to intervene and the attacker won't stop hurting her. So um, the question I have that I will post to everybody is, how deeply do you want to get involved um, how much risk do you want to put you and your family through in order to save this total stranger and then I'll hand it over to you Well you don't
1: okay question for you Tim before you got there was the woman just trying to rob the guy with a gun or maybe with the very weapon she's being beaten with now that doesn't mean necessarily that the man beating her hasn't crossed the line of self-defense into his own aggressive action and because the stop pardon because the threat has already stopped but it does bear the point which is do we really know all the facts here now i'm going to assume that in your scenario somehow we know that or at least we can assume that the woman uh was not the aggressor in this case at the end of the day the same self-defense laws apply to other people as well namely that if you believe that a third party has risen reasonable fear of imminent death or great bodily harm which would be the Wisconsin standard, check your local listings for what your standard in your place might be. But generally speaking, if you, if you reasonably believe that that third party is facing a deadly threat, then you can use deadly force. Whether you are right or not is a different question altogether. And keep in mind, now someone comes in from stage left on you, and they see you shooting at this guy who was trying to protect a bloodied woman on the ground. Uh, that you also just shot or something like that, how are they going to know that you're the good guy? Because at a glance, they may see this guy on the ground, a bloody woman screaming for help, and you standing there with a gun. Something to keep in mind.
0: Yeah, witnesses, you know, from different perspectives. Yeah. Uh, they're gonna, they're and going, I've had cases, plenty going, of cases like that. Yeah, going to see different things. Um, <clears throat> Skip down in Florida wants to know what happens if he carries into a gun-free zone. What's his liability if someone notices? Uh, I am no Florida law expert. Tom? Nope. <laughs> so uh, check your local listings. Um, those are the rules down there. Um, go to uscca.com laws and look it over. Um, we should have information out there for Florida, but I unfortunately don't have all 50 states memorized at this point.
1: So. I hear Kevin's up to 48, though. Yeah, so I'm, another I'm, few weeks, he'll get
0: them. I'm really getting good at this. Yeah. Can we talk about brandishing to deter or stop a threat and how it's viewed legally? And I have some insight on this because I just sent Bonnie over at the, the law's desk to find out about brandishing. So far she's only found that four states mention it at all. Hmm. Uh, that brandishing is not something people talk about. It's apparently under reckless endangerment or some other sort of sort of, uh, legal heading out there. But um, the way I'm gonna put this is, if you pull your gun, there better be an imminent deadly threat that you're gonna pull your gun out. You may not fire, but you've got your gun out. And once your gun is out, and if you've stopped the threat without firing a shot, call police. If you have fired a few shots, call police. If you're going to put your gun away, call the police because somebody else is going to call the police if they see a guy waving a gun around. So.
1: Quite possibly the bad guy. Yeah. Uh, I've had real cases where the bad guy won the, the, won the race to 911 and my guy was the guy facing criminal charges. Luckily, I think we've always been able to get those charges thrown out. Mm-hmm. But, but as the expression goes, you can beat the rap, but you can't beat the ride. Ah. Um, so you just got to be careful about stuff like that. All right.
0: Yeah, if you pull your gun out, folks, call the cops and... Uh, and- and then cooperate you know with the investigation so
1: and no warning shots let's just throw that out there no
0: warning shots never not under any circumstances oh you got me going on that (laughs) this one (coughs) wow max this is like a a war and peace question during the last webinar someone asked about using credit cards at the range fearing a paper trail Ooh, i just wrote a column about this you're gonna love it um how about drawing from the holster Uh uh-oh um I am qualified and can do this at my range and firing at human-shaped targets on a drill. I view this as necessary, but should I be forced to employ my skill set in defense against deadly force? But what would a prosecutor use against me in court? Should I have to defend myself with a firearm? Okay, criminally or civilly. So, first of all, this paper trail. Um, Use your credit card at the range. Are you using that to prove your training, or are you worried about the paper trail that you're gonna be on a government list or something like that? (laughs) So, um, folks, if you're watching this live training, broadcast, webinar, whatever it is that we're doing. If you're watching this right now, you're already on the list. Uh, it's too late. In this age of data sharing, um, <clears throat> I'll say hello to the folks at the NSA. I know that this is going there somewhere, somehow. So you're already on the list as a gun owner or your, potential gun your owner. Your
1: folder just got a little bigger. That's, that's right. It's got a uh, little bigger.
0: Yep. Enshrined in Washington <laughs> in a little manila folder. <laughs> so, um, and, and now asking, you know, you're shooting at human-shaped targets, uh, different things like that. Certainly a prosecutor can try to use that against you. How far will it go?
1: Uh, Again, the number one most important thing about your case is your case, all right? In other words, what are the facts? Did you use, did you reasonably use deadly force to stop deadly force? Period, bull stop, all right? That should be the four corner test. I say should because yes, prosecutors can get things wildly off track sometimes. Trying to look at social media posts, this, and, and all these other sorts of things, right? To Kevin's one of his earlier points in that is the fact that, look, this paper trail could be helping you, it could be hurting you. We just don't know how it's going to play. Yeah, if a prosecutor wants to introduce that as what we will call other acts evidence, all right, here's something that many of you guys may not know, contrary to Hollywood and TV and so forth, where all sorts of things are coming in trials all the time from that time you did something in fifth grade to your character and reputation evidence. Guys, in real life courts of law, this is usually very difficult to, to get facts and other character and reputation evidence into court. I'm not saying impossible, but I am saying it can be difficult. And there's various evidentiary tests. Check your local listings. Sorry, Bonnie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> check your local listings for, for what some of those tests may be and so forth. But here's the bottom line, is that if the prosecutor is going to try to introduce the fact that you regularly train and you competently train and that you're training to stop the threat and how dare he do all those things, protect his life and other people's lives, I think that realistically, hopefully if you have a competent defense attorney, most of this can be used to your advantage rather than disadvantage. Um, But at the end of the day, this is all a sideshow to what's the facts of the case. Give your attorney good facts.
0: Yeah, do the right thing with your gun. Give your attorney a good case to deal with. Um, All right. Should we concern ourselves with situations where your privacy is invaded when it comes to online purchases of firearms and ammunition? I sense a trend. Mm. I saw a story of a delivery driver admitting to an, in an online article that he was submitting private information to the FBI for excessive online ammunition purchases. First of all, can you define excessive online ammunition purchases? I may be over the limit.
1: Yeah, uh, <laughs> I think I remember that You know, the late Ted Kennedy mm-hmm. kept trying to 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 pass a law every year to qualify, basically when you lose your Fourth Amendment rights um, on creating what what I think you referred to as an ammunition stash or an ammunition hoard. Mm -hmm. It was something like if you had more than 500 rounds of ammunition in your house, yeah, right? If you had more than 500 rounds of ammunition in your house, I think you had to be on some sort of national registry where basically the ATF or whoever wanted could just do on-site inspections whenever they wanted. Um, Mm -hmm. Uh, this was never passed. Glad, glad just so that we're didn't clear, make it into right. law. Yeah, yeah. but um, but you're right. I mean, look, should you concern yourself with situations? There's so many things in this world, particularly today, probably more tomorrow, that you could and probably should be concerning yourself with. At the end of the day, you have a life to live, and you can't be overcome and flooded with all the things that you could be if you chose to let yourself. Is this something you should be monitoring? Is it something you should be talking to your local congressman, congresswoman, senator, whoever it might be? Yeah, you want to obviously be voicing that, that opinion out there. And for God's sakes, vote in both your local as well as national elections. Guys, if you think that your, your civil rights are under attack nationally, you have no idea what the local politicians are doing. Because uh, as somebody who knows civil rights attorneys and so forth, um, on both sides of the aisle, most people say that your civil rights are under attack far more at the local government level uh, as opposed to the federal government level so vote in all your elections that's basically the best thing i can i can tell you to do
0: yeah i want to pick up on the second part of this here with uh, uh you know a delivery driver admitting that he was providing information to the fbi folks there's 300 400 million people in america and delivery drivers are going all over the place the FBI is not in the business of just randomly figuring out who has lots of ammo. So I'm thinking there's more to this story that, that perhaps for some reason, the FBI decided that they wanted to take a look at why this guy was getting so much ammo. And then they reached out to the delivery driver and, and probably with, um, they can use the FISA warrants or, or things like that. But uh, understand that, that the FBI is not there um, just going around randomly looking, wow, that, that, that guy ordered a thousand rounds of ammo from Sportsman's Guide or something like that, and uh, let's go take a look at him.
1: Yeah, I mean, not, mm-hmm. not to freak people out, um, but, you know, let's try this on for size. I've had, I've had clients reported to the cops by Facebook for private messages that they're sending to other people, all right? Um, so, really? Yeah, Ooh. multiple. So, <laughs> yeah, so, guys, anything you're doing online it's all being saved. It's all being tracked. It's all being stored. I'm not saying that to scare you. I'm telling that to inform you. Mm-hmm. All right. It's up to you what you want to do with that knowledge. My suggestion is do what you should already be doing, which is to always make safe, judicial, prudent decisions. As I always tell my attorneys to at the firm, you know, when it comes to what are you going to be arguing, what are you going to be briefing in court, the answer is I wouldn't want to be putting anything out there that I wouldn't be proud of if I saw it on the front page of the newspaper the next day. All right. Hopefully, you're doing the same thing online.
0: All right. Let's move on. I practice drill weekly at a range of 20 to 45 feet. Any recommended distances? Well, um, no name was attached to this one. Remember that gunfights are close and they are fast and they are dynamic. Yes, I want you to practice your marksmanship skills. Yes, I want you to be able to hit your target when you point your gun at it because you are responsible for every round that goes downrange. But I also want you to understand that your gunfight is probably not going to be this okay corral kind of thing where you're standing 50 feet apart Pointing shots down range, slowly, methodically shooting at each other. You're going to be within three to four yards, probably closer. You're going to be shoving your gun forward and pushing the bad guy off of you and you're going to be firing shots. So go get really good training about close quarters battle or extreme close quarters battle. And yes, keep going to the range and keep becoming a better and better marksman at long distances because then you'll be a really good marksman at short distances.
1: And guys, something you may not know, uh, or hopefully you do, since you're all USCCA uh, Platinum and Elite members here, is the fact that there's been a fantastic debut of the USCCA training platform. So I think you can check it out on your dashboard. If not, we'll be getting some information up very shortly as to how you do that. But it's a fantastic way to access those classes and to get the kind of training that you're
0: hearing us talking about here. All right. Okay. Rico, should we attend the Second Amendment (laughs) rally on November 2nd? I will attend the Second Amendment rally on November 2nd. Enrico, if you show up, I'll let you buy me one of those big pretzels or something like that, or you know dill pickle on a stick, something. Um, yes, the Second Amendment rally is important. Let's get out there and show the world what good, responsible gun owners are really all about. Um, it's you know this is our opportunity to show us to show the world what we are like. Um, so let's not squander that opportunity. Let's not act a fool while we're out there. But um, again. A rally in Washington, D.C. is a rally in Washington, D.C. It's a good opportunity to show the world that, you know, that we're, we're misrepresented by the press and, and underrepresented in, in the halls of Congress.
1: Nice clothes, regular clothes, that kind of stuff. Yep. yep. Don't, don't yeah. do anything weird. Yeah, please. yeah. so uh,
0: come to the rally. I'll be wandering around with a camera crew and some other stuff, so um, hopefully we'll see a bunch of people out there on November 2nd. Jack wants to know, how liable is the good guy if during a church shooting or other crowded event with advanced training – A CCW permit and permission from the pastor to carry in church if he accidentally injures or kills a fellow parishioner while engaging the bad guy. Um, We're addressing what we call the greater danger theory here. We're discussing whether your failure to act would cause a greater danger than your actions. And that is a gigantic legal can of worms that I'm gonna hand off to Oh,
1: good, great. So (laughs) several doctrines can come into play. And again, these can vary with with place and place and obviously with time as well. So one of the doctrines that we're gonna be talking about here is something called transferred intent, where look, if I was acting legally when I shot that first bullet, um, then I was acting legally even though I may have missed. Now don't get me wrong, that probably won't save you from being sued civilly after the fact. Mm -hmm. Um, but hopefully that will save you at a minimum, ideally from that, but from the criminal charges, which in essence is a criminal lawsuit. It's being sued criminally. Second thing to keep in mind is felony murder rules, things like that. So in other words, if bad guy breaks in and starts doing bad things, they may be responsible for basically all the injuries and all the deaths that ensue from that, even if they individually had nothing to do with pulling that trigger. So different states have different ways of addressing this issue. It's a fantastic question, and unfortunately, it's one that has come up and will continue to come up in real life. So different states have wrestled with how do we try to protect the good guys while going after the bad guys. They each have different tools for doing it. Some of them do it better or worse and obviously different applications as far as this is the way this particular prosecutor, this particular district attorney's office will go about exercising those, those tools. That's going to be up to them. But uh, there's different tools. Keep in mind, you've got to be thinking both criminally as well as civilly as well. So lots of yeah. things that could go wrong.
0: And, and understand, if you're in a situation like that, first question is, are you safe? Is your family member safe? Now do you want to engage? And what level of responsibility will you have if during this engagement you injure someone else? So those are all the questions that have to be going through your head before this happens. During a shooting is no time to be making that plan. So. Right. All right, moving on down the line. What is the threshold for using deadly force or not? Uh, we've gone over this. I'll let you take it this time.
1: Uh, well, again, it's good. the exact formulation will vary from state to state. But here in Wisconsin, you have to be in reasonable fear of imminent death or great bodily harm. We're assuming that in your particular state, it's probably something a little bit similar, maybe a little bit different, but it's going to be something basically that describes what a deadly threat is to you. All right. So when is a deadly threat if I'm holding a knife, but if I'm on five security fences away and behind a locked door, even if I'm saying I'm going to kill you with that knife and making stabbing gestures, probably not an imminent deadly mm-hmm. threat. Maybe a deadly threat over mm-hmm. there, but not right here. So using that, that, uh, that firearm, probably not going to cut it. And keep in mind, of course, you may be in a duty to retreat state. Castle doctrine could be attaching. Uh, there could be a stand ground issue. So there's lots of different issues that, that kind of tie into that bundle.
0: All right. So what are the consequences of wounding versus killing? I wish someone would have attached a name to that one. I'd, I'd like to talk specifically to this person. Again, we're not trying to kill anyone ever. Our goal is to stop the threat. We are using force, which could be considered deadly, to stop the threat. All we really want this person to do is stop, their, is stop immediately their aggressive behavior, this, this uh, imminent threat of death or great bodily harm. That's what we want. Sometimes the only way to do that is to reduce blood pressure to zero. So um, the difference is well, the bad guy's going to live or the bad guy's going to die. Um, the law is still the law. You're using right. deadly force. If you pull out your gun and you shoot someone in the leg, you've still used deadly force. You right. still have to have the right to use deadly force.
1: Right, and if you don't, and that's mm-hmm. the reason why you're saying I shot them in the leg, I'm sorry, but the law is going to disagree with you. Mm-hmm. And again, no one's saying that that's the way it, it ought to be. We're saying that's the way that it is. All right. Yeah. Um, so if you feel like you are in a situation where you're about to be killed, I don't know why you'd be shooting for the knee anyways. All right? mm-hmm. You're shooting to stop the threat. And the most effective way of doing that probably doesn't involve shooting for kneecaps.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm looking over at the uh, chart on the wall and as my therapist says, our time is up, Tom. So, uh, <laughs>
1: That's a brave um, man. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's, uh, it, it gets dark sometimes. Um, we're done, folks. Uh, thank you very much for presenting your questions and, and letting us take this time to chat with you. Tom, is there any way that people can help out after getting all this great information from guys like you and me? <laughs>
1: Well, guys, I really appreciate it, and something that allows me to come here to take these questions from our fantastic members is the link below that says something to the effect of rate tom or leave tom or review or something like that you can also just google grievelaw.com but otherwise if you see the review tom on google if you click on that it'll bring you to something i realize it might say something like divergent family law which is actually the wing of our firm that does exclusively family law most of us are criminal defense attorneys but sometimes when you need a criminal defense attorney you may also need a family law attorney too so guys if you could just take a moment not only for myself but from all of us back at the office please uh, give us a five-star review if you're willing to. Keep in mind, it's the internet. Four out of five is kind of a failing grade. So if you felt like you got okay content for me today, guys, thank you in advance for just taking a moment. It's free. It takes you a few seconds. Five-star review. Again, we really appreciate it. And I do take the time to personally, not some sort of intern, not some not an associate. It's it's me. I go through every single one of these reviews and write individual responses back. So um, the longer the response you give me, usually the longer the response I'll make. So guys, I thank you in advance. Look
0: forward to reading them. And thank you, folks, for your membership in the USCCA. We are here to help you. So keep watching, and we'll keep doing this.